Good morning and welcome to our Anchor Point online service. I am Timothy Seilern and this is my lovely wife Elizabeth. Um, if this is your first time joining us, we're excited that you're here and we look forward to a time when we can meet in person. If you aren't a first timer, we are of course stoked that you're here as well. We want to thank you for your continued support of Anchor Point and our mission to New Tecumseh. And if you consider Anchor Point your home, you can continue giving online at giving at apalliston.com. Since we can't meet in person right now, there are some ways that we can still safely connect. Call someone, go out for walks, join a Zoom call. And if you're a kid, there's a new AP Kids Online video that came out today, so make sure to check that out. You guys are a huge part of our Anchor Point family, and we love you. <laughs> we love you! Have a good Sunday! We'll see you soon! This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's hear God's word. The new life. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord, given to us by our Father, in patience, and kindness, and in love. Hey, good morning, Anchor Point, and anyone else tuning in, I'm so happy that you're here with us. My name's Tom Wolfe, and I'm so happy that you're here with us online. I wish we could be together in person. But in the meantime, I would I would want to ask you guys, if you're up for it, to use the comment section below just to have some type of chat or communication as we're listening to this teaching together. Let's use what we have available to us in the meantime as we're waiting to be able to gather together once again. 
But we are in our ninth week, guys, in the book of Ephesians and in our series that we've entitled All Things New. And we are in the second half of learning how to how to just live out what we've learned in the first half of the book. So the first half of the book is all about right thinking, where we get we get to unpack who God is and what he's done, the mystery of the gospel that we were once dead, but now we're alive, that he's, re- he's uniting these two people, the Gentiles and the Jews that used to be at odds with one another. He's making this new humanity that he had plans for us before the whole founda- foundation of the world, like all kinds of mind-blowing stuff. But we wanted to... Um, Sorry, we, Paul brilliantly puts it that way on purpose. And I want to underline what he's doing there because what who God is and what God's done has to shape who we are and what we do. And sometimes we get it wrong, we get it backwards, where we try to go the reverse way, where we try to do the right things and that will give us an identity and then maybe we'll get to know who God's like and then it's just all reversed and backwards and it never goes well for us. And so last week our friend Vic Stander was here from City Gates and he did a great job of kind of introing this whole idea of living out as the new humanity united and every part playing its part and every person showing up and contributing. And it was great and super encouraging. If you haven't listened to that or watched it, I would encourage you to do so. But today we're going to continue on in the second half of the book where we're going to look at what it looks like to, to live out our new humanity in a community that's unified but also holy. And so you may hear that and be like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awful. But it really comes down to a question of identity. And so the first half of of Ephesians, we have all kinds of stuff that we're learning, all kinds of new things actually that are presented to us. And just to list a few, this is from the first four chapters. We have a new mind, a new will, new heart, new inheritance, new relationship, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness, new love, new desire, and new citizenship. That's Ephesians 1 to 4. So today, Paul is going to tie all this into a teaching on living out our new identity as the adopted children of God or the new humanity. Identity is a big deal. It's one of our core values as a community, and we see that as God's rule being expressed uniquely in God's people. And so we understand this. Identity is, excuse me, identity is for us expressed uniquely as we are rooted in belonging to the Father becoming our true selves in Christ and believing that this is only possible through the ongoing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about identity and what does that mean? How do we, in light of everything we've learned about who God is and what God's done, we're learning about who we are. And then from that place, looking at what we do. It could be easy for us to come at you and say, hey, these are the things that you need to do to get your life in order. But we don't want to do that. And that's not what Paul wanted to do either. He's saying, hey, listen, this is who God is. And because of this, is who, this is this is what God is like and this is what God has done. This is who you are as the new creation, as the new humanity. And as you understand that and learn to live that out, that's what it's going to look. This is what it's going to look like. And so we're going to emphasize more so who you are rather than what you need to do to do that. We're going to get to that at the end of today's lesson, as you would have heard John just reading the scripture to us. But we really want to hammer in and, and think about this whole idea of who you are. And, and, and even more so whose you are, whose you are is, is, is so important in understanding our identity. And from that place, who are you becoming and on into how do we become our true selves? And so I want to tell you guys a story to start. I thought this was a really cool story. I heard it. Sec- this, so this is secondhand. Um, and it's about this teacher in the States whose name was Crystal Jones. And Crystal Jones was a first grade teacher. And she took this position teaching um, with this organization that helps underprivileged kids. And it's really cool what she did. She went into the class and 
she kind of did a quick assessment and realized that all of them were at all kinds of different levels of reading, comprehension, spelling, some couldn't even recognize letters, some could read it. So it was a huge spectrum of, of kind of where they were maturing in their learning. And she, in the first few weeks of the class, she said something along these lines. She said, hey, listen, do you guys like third graders? Third graders are pretty cool. You know, they know how to read, they're faster, they're, they're braver, they're taller. It's pretty cool, right? To be, it would be pretty cool to be a third grader. And so she said, at the end of this year, guys, you're going to be third graders. And so she promised them, she gave this picture of who they're becoming and, and her willingness to help them in the process. And it's pretty cool what she did. The whole class from then on kind of bought into this idea of, yeah, I want to become a third grader. And how she kind of framed their whole class was really interesting. She um, kind of just provoked this whole idea of, of learning being essential to them becoming third graders. And so they ended up calling each other, not by their first names, they would say scholar and then whatever their last name would be. So it would be like, for me, I'd be scholar wolf. And I thought that was so cool. So they're, they're, they're calling each other that kind of their true identity. They're calling themselves, they're calling each other to be who they already are. And it's like this forward looking idea. And so it ends up that by the end of the year, they all pass, they're, they're doing great. But it, it, it started with this promise of this is who, who you, can become this is who you're becoming and then learning to identify as such so they call each other scholar the whole way through anytime people would come into the class and be like why do you call each other scholar you know blankenship or scholar green and they would say because scholars scholars are learners and they love to learn and they're good at it and so it's like a reframing and a reshaping of how they interacted with each other but also with their whole identity. I'm a scholar, I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning to love to learn because when I do that, I get to become a third grader. And I thought that was so cool. She's calling them into who they already are. And this is kind of what Paul's doing today. He's saying, hey, listen, remember, this is what you were like when you were first graders, but I'm gonna make third graders out of you. And he starts off giving a picture of what they were like as, first, as kindergartners or first graders. So let's reread together the first few verses of chapter or chapter four verses 17 through um 20 or 19 let's read these together this is this whole idea of putting off our old self now this i say and testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy, to and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is Paul kind of doing what he does. He did this in chapter two, where he just gives the Ephesians another reality check. He's and, and, and Crystal Jones could have done something like that. Hey guys, remember kindergartners? They they pick their nose all the time. They don't do their home homework. They can't read and kind of giving a picture of what was and looking forward to what they're coming into. The, the interesting thing here is Paul is is talking to primary this audience is primarily Gentiles, and it could be something. It would be like something like me saying like this to you: Don't live like the Canadians do. And yeah, totally. In a lot of ways, don't live like the Canadians do. But what he's getting at here is this again: this whole idea of identity. Your identity is no longer your ethnic background, and this is a big deal, a bigger deal then than it probably is to us now. But he's just calling them into this greater understanding of remember. There's a new humanity here that God's forming in Jesus, in Christ, that it's not like an updated version. It's a something altogether different. It's a new invention altogether. So your primary source of identity can no longer be your ethnic background. 
don't live that way. It's, it's, it's not like that. So that's what he's getting at there. But he's also saying, hey, don't, don't live like the Gentiles do. And remember chapter two, all about that far from God, darkened and alienated, all those things. But he goes on and kind of reminds them. He's setting the picture of what was and looking ahead to what will be in Jesus. He says this, like, listen, they lived in intellectual futility where they were seeking for something but never getting the desired results. Their minds were failing them. Moreover, they had hard hearts. The word here that he uses is actually petrified, that their hearts were like fossilized. They were they were, they were alive, but now they become so hard and they're, they're immovable and that their cells are replaced by something harder than what was there before. And this is, again, a picture of the old life before Jesus. And then he, he keeps going on. Remember, it used to be spiritually and morally numb, right? Before Jesus came into the scene, before you were rescued by him. And again, the, the final picture here that he gives is that there's this black hole of selfishness that the Gentiles live in a way that's curved in on themselves. They're collapsing inward. It's selfishness personified. And this is the old self. This is what Jesus is calling them out of and into something different. So this is a, this is a picture of who they were or who, who we were in a lot of ways. But the, the beautiful thing about the gospel and in our new identity and being found in Christ, and it's interesting, that phrase is used over 160 times in the New Testament. We're, refer, we're referred to more as in Christ than we are as Christians in the Bible. So it'd be cool for us to start thinking that way, thinking about ourselves as in Christ. So the, the change is in who we are. And the gospel provides us not just forgiveness, but it provides us a whole new identity, whole new identity. Christianity or being in Christ is a reinvention, a transformation down to the very core of who we are, not just what we do. So who we are is fundamentally different as we find ourselves in Christ. The question is now, how do we become who we actually are? Back to Crystal Jones, how do we become third graders? It begins here and Paul goes on. He says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So that old way that he just unpacked in detail, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So the second thing is we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. It's... Do you notice the, the amount of times Christ or Jesus is referenced in those few verses here? And in summary, Paul is saying, you need to learn Jesus, you need to hear from Jesus, and you need to be taught in Jesus. Hmm. So, so Jesus, or learning Jesus, he's the substance there. From Jesus, he's actually the teacher. And in Jesus, he's the context. Hmm. Interesting. In learning Jesus, we learn how to be a son to the Father. In learning Jesus, we learn how to be a son to the Father. He teaches us whose we are. Remember, answering that question of who we are starts with answering the question. Like underneath that is whose we are. And in Christ, we are the fathers. We are his children. Isaiah 43 says, hey, listen, you are mine. You are mine. And I am his and you are his. And that's our primary place of learning how to reference ourselves. We are the fathers. We are the father's children. 
So only in discovering whose we are can we truly discover who we are. And we learn this from Jesus, right? One of the beautiful mysteries of the gospel is that we are seated in Christ. And so where is, where is Christ seated? He's seated with the Father and with the Spirit, right? In the, in the beautiful idea of the Trinity around a table together, looking at each other, preferring one another, listening to one another, overflowing with love for one another, united in mind and purpose and pursuit, but distinct. It's incredible. And so the whole mystery of us being caught up in Christ, of Christ being in us and us being in him and him being in the Father, and there's all kinds of mind-blowing stuff, is that from that vantage point, from sitting in Christ, we begin to see the Father as he really is. We begin to learn whose we are. And in that place, our mind is renewed because sin, what it does is it darkens our mind to God, right? Our thinking becomes futile. Our minds become smaller and smaller. Our hearts, beca- our hearts become harder and harder. We become more spiritually and morally numb and to the point where we com- completely collapse inward on ourselves. That's the old way, but we're not there anymore. So we, we need to start thinking the other way. How do we become more sp- spiritually and morally aware and sensitive? How do we become, you know, our hearts being softened? How do we learn to have our minds renewed? And how do we begin to look outward rather than inward? And we learn all of this from Jesus. And what Paul's doing here is just, again, he's just putting another kind of underlying highlight to this whole idea of discipleship, of apprenticeship to Jesus. The, the, the good news is that we can learn from Jesus how to become like Jesus, how to become who we really are. And <clears throat> Maximus the Confessor, what, what a name. Right, A theologian from around like 630 AD says this, Christ has given us an entirely new way to be human. And it'd be good for us to learn from the person who is the perfect human how to be a human, right? And so this is what Paul is, is saying. Hey, listen, that's you, you put off your old self and in, and in putting on the, the next step is that you actually need to renew your minds. You need to learn to think differently because there's going to be some knee-jerk reactions to go to the old way. You know, as back to that first grader analogy, there's going to be some things that you used to do in kindergarten that you can't do here anymore, or first grade that you can't do here anymore. So we learn from Jesus how to be a human. We learn from Jesus how to relate to the Father as a child. And in that space are empowered by the Spirit to receive and have our eyes open to see Jesus as he really is and the Father as he really is and understand the love that they have for each other and the love that they have for us. And we cry out, Abba, Father. It's just all kinds of beautiful goodness. But part of our new identity that we have to grasp is that, that we're on this journey or process of discipleship where we're actually learning, right? And back, we're scholars. We're learning to love learning from Jesus how to be a child. We are learning from Jesus how to live our lives if, if it were him living it. And so this is helpful for us to, to think through. So for you um, moms there with, with a bunch of children, it's learning to live like Jesus would live if he were you with your exact children. Or if, if you own your own business, it's learning how to operate and run your business and treat your, your exact employees the way Jesus would treat them. It's learning to live as if Jesus was living out your life right here, right now in 2021 in some area of New Tecumseh, if you're listening from Anchor Point or if you're online, wherever you're at, it's learning to live that way. If you're the middle child of a big family, how would Jesus live as a middle child to that exact big family with those little brothers or those big sisters or how would that play out? Or it's learning to live like Jesus would live as a retired person. How How would that play out? How would that look out? And, and 
it, it's incredible that he wants to teach us. Like any one of us, if we had our, our favorite pastime or hobby, if that the, the best profession or person in that field was like, hey, I want to teach you and tutor you how to do this. We'd say absolutely 100%, make time for it, make space for it, cancel things, rearrange things to be there. And this is the offer we have from Jesus, the creator of the universe, the most brilliant human, the most brilliant mind ever created to come and say, hey, listen, I want to help you learn how to live your life. And more often than not, we kind of just slough that off. But Paul's reminding us, hey, for you to become who you really are, you need to learn from Jesus how to become your true self. Soren Kierkegaard, this is one of my all-time favorite quotes, says this, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. With God's help, I shall become myself. So step one, we put off the old self. Step two, our minds are renewed. And step three, we put on the new self. This is what Paul says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We as human beings, we become like what we become like what we behold, what we look at, what we put our attention on, what we live towards. And so in this whole paradigm of discipleship, we've spelled it out as we need to be with Jesus, we need to become like Jesus, and we need to do what Jesus did. So the more we prioritize intimacy with Jesus and intimacy with Jesus's people, the more like Jesus we're going to become. And that new self is found in Christ, but it's expressed uniquely. My in Christness or your and your in Christness are going to look differently in um, how they play out, but the fruit of those lives are going to look the same. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things are going to be the fruit of us living out our new selves in Jesus. So Christ is in us. He is the hope of glory. He is transforming us from the inside out. But one of the things we need to understand, and again, faith comes in here. We're grabbing hold of Jesus by faith, that we're, in, we're included in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. That we're, we're, we're given a new identity and a new self in him that we're learning how to live into and learning how to live out. I mean, it, it kind of gives you like a reference of clothing, basically. But sometimes we can get stuck there and just think if I have the right clothing on, that'll be good enough. But it's something that God is wanting to change us from the inside out. That your true self, if, if, if you're listening, I'm looking at you. Your true self is like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who God wants to make you into. There's a process. His, his, his like Crystal Jones saying, hey, I'm going to make third graders, graders out of you. He's saying, hey, I'm going to make you like me, full of righteousness and holiness. It's good news. This is what we're about. This is, this is the, the journey of discipleship. This is what it looks like to live with God. And this, this, is, this is who we are becoming in Jesus. And what that looks like, this is the next layer. What that looks like is what we're going to listen to the rest of the way. But I want to just make it really clear that these are the things that a lot of us are probably just working out in our own hearts and minds now. Like learning to be a disciple, learning to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given us, learning to like even receive the affirmation and love of the Father, to, to learn to listen to God's Spirit, the nudges. And that's good. That's okay. But but I want us to hear that what, what God wants to make us into is here in the scriptures. He wants to make us like himself, like Jesus, and live lives that are full of righteousness and holiness. The basic idea here, guys, of, of bridging these two things of, of, of right 
understanding of who we are and, and right living is that behavior follows identity. Behavior follows identity. And that new identity that we've been gifted and given in Christ, it, it plays itself out in the context of relationship. With, with which for some of us comes as bad news, maybe some of us is good news, because it's difficult to live out this this identity in general, but especially in relationship with people that drive us crazy, who are difficult. I love the analogy Vic used last week of being at the beach together, the guy who just walked past you and got a whole bunch of sand in your hummus. How are you going to, how are you going to treat that guy? But this is it. We're, our, our, our new identity plays itself out in the context of family in the context of relationship with God and with one another. Last week, Paul, or Vic talked to us about the importance of recognizing the unity of the new humanity that is found in Jesus, that he's forming and building and shaping. But today, Paul is continuing that idea and talking about the holiness or purity that's going to mark this new humanity. And what, he's, what Paul is addressing is this whole issue of hypocrisy, that we need to live out who we are, that behavior truly does follow identity. And so I'm just going to go through um, the six things that Paul kind of highlights as markers for the new humanity living out our holiness. And again, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that aren't in this list, but I'm going to go through rather quickly and then kind of end with a couple thoughts and then a couple challenges for us. So let's, let's listen to what behavior will follow our new identity. The first thing is we're going to value truth over lies. Verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We've all been victim to and been perpetrators of lies. They can destroy, tear apart um, communities, families, and, and that's not what marks the new, new humanity is lying, but however truth telling does. And so as we live this out, as we learn to understand who we are and who we're becoming, becoming our true self, we will value truth over lies. The second thing is, we will value righteous anger over rage. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. A lot of us maybe grew up thinking that, I mean, Christians are so kind, they never get angry, they can't get angry, and that's just not true. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen, rage, it's got to go. But righteous anger, getting getting upset and moved to the things that really do matter and wanting to change those things, say about lying. It's okay for righteous anger to, to, to stir up within us, but what we do with that is what we're after here. We need to, we need if, if we're angry, we cannot sin in that anger. We go on. And again, I hope this doesn't sound like a list of me moralizing to you, but this is, this is what we're heading towards as the new identity. The third thing is, is we're going to value hard work over stealing. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone and anyone in need. Love that. Pretty straightforward. But I love the whole idea of the motivation that we want to be generous and share. We want to be hardworking so that we can bless other people. Uh, number four, we're going to value encouragement over corrupt speech. Verse 29 and 30, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm going to just sit on this one a little bit longer than the other ones. It's very interesting. Um, the word here that Paul uses for corrupting talk, it, it is the same root as um, rotten fish or rotten fruit. And I'm pretty sure anyone who's listening to this would say they don't really necessarily enjoy 
the aroma of rotten fish or rotten fruit. If you do, man, comment below and let's have a conversation. I want to understand your brain. Um, but what he's saying here is when you, when you speak corrupting talk about yourself, about others, about God, about anything, what it's doing, it's actually releasing rot into the world. And man, that's so impactful that, that this is a bigger deal than we think. What, what we, what we speak is a really big deal. And he goes on to say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So sometimes we think spiritual warfare is about fasting and praying all these things. Sometimes it's just the words that we use and how we talk about each other that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. But what, what we're going to do instead of doing those types of things is we're going to learn how to encourage one another, that we're going to learn to speak only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, that it may be a gift, that it may be an encouragement, that, it, that may lift their spirit. So no more rot encouragement. As the new humanity, we will value forgiveness over bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Remember, anything God has done to us and for us, he now wants to do through us. And I mean, we could go on and on about this. And then finally, the new humanity will not joke around about sex, but rather give thanks for it. This one was a little bit interesting, and I didn't do a ton of studying, but this is based off of John Stott's um, commentary here. And that's basically his summary of this point. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So all these things, I think that last little phrase is kind of learning, the, learning helping us learn things that are out of place. So in the new humanity, uh, lying is out of place, rage is out of place, stealing is out of place, corrupt speech is out of place, bitterness is out of place, and just joking around below the belt is out of place. So as the new humanity, these things kind of become increasingly dissonant or kind of like, oh man, we don't do that here. That's kind of weird. Like, oh man, we don't do that in third grade anymore. We did that in first grade, but not in third grade. Hope you guys are doing well. So in closing, guys, I want to just, just a couple thoughts about this whole idea of our identity and becoming who we really are. And I'm going to use a personal example. Um, I tried to think of a whole bunch of other ones, but this just kept coming back to me. But the day I got, um, so I'm, I'm married and I have some kids. So I got married really young. I got married, uh, how many years ago now? 2007. So this year will be 14 years ago. So the day, May 12th, 2007, when I got married, as my father-in-law was doing the wedding, pronounced me and my wife, Jess, as husband and wife. Do you guys think I was, a, I was had I become a husband? In that moment, I had become a husband. But was I a good husband? Did I know how to be a husband at that point? No, absolutely, absolutely not. I still have no, no I'm, I'm kidding, I'm learning. I'm learning how to be a husband. But did that make me any less of a husband then than I am now? No. My identity, part of my identity became I am a husband to Jessica. I wasn't, I'm not more of a husband to Jessica 14 years in than I was the first minute, the first second. That was pronounced husband to Jess. And in the same way, when my wife told me, you know, almost 13 years ago or 13 years ago that, that she was pregnant with Lily, in that moment, I became a dad. Am I, was I any less 
a dad then than I am now. No, I mean, in volume, yes, I have four kids rather than one, but my identity shifted then. I, I became a dad and I became a husband and I've learned and I'm learning how to grow into those realities. I'm becoming who I already am. And it's the same thing here. As we're learning to be, we, we're becoming who we already are. Anyone who is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Remember, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So it's true of us that we've been pronounced a new creation. Are we any more a new creation today than we were when we first got saved? No, but we're learning how to walk that out more and more each day. And so we've been pronounced new creations. We're learning how to live into that day by day by day. This week, guys, I want us to learn to kind of, in, in prioritizing being with Jesus and being intimate with him and spending time with him, in our prayer times, I want I want you guys to read over and ponder uh, who I am in Christ. These scriptures that are underneath here on the show notes, who I am in Christ scriptures that we have posted here for you. Read over them. And when you're having conversation with people in our community or people that you know that are following Jesus or people that you're hoping will come to follow him, reference those things and, and, and call that out in one another. Because the, the journey is for all of us, even back to the whole reference of um, Crystal Jones, that the students reminded each other, hey, scholar, scholar Brown, scholar, um, what was the name? Like, scholar Blankenship. Remember, scholars love to learn and are really good at it. And remember, we're becoming third graders. It's the same thing. We need each other to say, hey, remember, this is you're a new creation. Yeah, you got you stumbled, you tripped, you lied. That's okay. There's forgiveness. But remember, that's not what the new humanity does. That's not what you do. That's not who you are. And so we're going to call each other out of who we were and into who we are in Jesus. We need one another on this journey. And I hope this, guys, was a blessing to you, an encouragement to your heart and your soul as we are together journeying and, and understanding who God is and what he's done, understanding in light of those things who we are and what we get to do as new creations. I'm just going to pray for us and just bless you for the rest of the day. Father, may we learn to live as your children. May we learn rooted in our belonging to you. Jesus, may we dedicate our hearts and minds and times to be with you and to become like you and to do what you did. And Holy Spirit, we want to acknowledge afresh that we can only do this through your empowering. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you soon. Bless you.